Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It is again Laylatul Jumu'ah and you are tu- tuned into a Tazkiyah program on Channel Islam International. <coughs> it is the 15th of Zul Hijjah 1432 corresponding to the 10th of November 2011. This is your program Tazkiyah broadcasting live out of the Channel Islam International studios here in Johannesburg where we have our honorable guests Sheikh Kamaluddin Ahmed and myself Junaid Mullah filling in for Maulana Musa Akudi who is our regular host on Tazkia. Our SMS line number is 0027729565 and for our South African listeners 0722699565. Our email address is ii at ciinetwork.net. For audio streaming you can go to www.ciibroadcasting.net and finally for our World Space listeners you can catch us on channel 603. Sheikh Kamaluddin Ahmed's website address is www.islamicspirituality.com and his email address is kamaluddin at gmail.com. It is a time in that, in, uh, of that part of the year when the Hujjaj have performed their rites uh, <coughs> with regard to the Hajj and are returning. Now, before we get our, Sheikh, our Honorable Sheikh Kamaluddin online, we'll just mention a few etiquettes with regard to the Hujjaj. Inshallah, we all make this dua first and foremost to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the near future take us again. If those of us that are unfortunate that we were not able to go for whatever reason for hajj this year, we make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take us first and, uh, first and most importantly for hajj time and time again, and as well as to go make ziyarat of our beloved Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the Baytullah as well on numerous occasions over and over again. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept that. Now that the hujjaj are coming back from hajj, what are the etiquettes? Firstly, we must know that we should try and meet as many hujjaj as possible, even if they are our acquaintance, acquaintances. Why? Because those hujjaj are coming back from hajj, they are, inshallah, all the hajj are accepted, they, hajj, uh, they have a hajj maqbul, hajj mabrur. And when they are returning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has cleansed them and they are in that state where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with them. So what we should do is we should go and greet them and ask them for the du'as. It is our responsibility to go to them and try and benefit from that nur which they have attained from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You see, it is mentioned that um, when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam went for, uh, went for, for Miraj, when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam went to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam seen Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and came back down, Hazrat Musa Alayhi Salaam sent Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to go speak to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala again for whatever reason, to, of, uh, mainly to go in and have the Salat reduced. What, uh, the, the official reason is that Hazrat Musa Alayhi Salaam sent Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to have the Salat reduced every time. But there was another reason which the ulama write that Nabi, uh, Hazrat Musa Alayhi Salaam sent Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam time and time again to meet Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala because he enjoyed seeing the nur on the face of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam every time Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam seen Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So similarly we should, we could not go for Hajj, the least we can do is go and visit those people who have been to the house of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, those people who have made ziyarat of our beloved Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and ask them for the du'as and ask them and plead with them to make du'a for us, that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala have mercy on us first and foremost, and also at the same time, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala take us as well to go make ziyarat of the, of the, uh, of the Haram Sharif in Makkah Mukarramah and also of our beloved Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
We should go to them and if we are offered some zamzam and kajur, we should consume of that and whatever gift they give us. We should value it because it has made that gift, whichever they brought for us from those lands, has a significance in that it spent time in, the, in that area, in that Mubarak places of Makkah Mukarramah or Medina Munawwara. One day, <coughs> a student of a sheikh went for hajj from, from India. When he went for hajj, he came back. He met his sheikh, uh, he went to greet his sheikh, his sheikh uh, spoke to him, made a pleasantries, asked him for duas and so on. Thereafter his sheikh asked him, what did you bring back from uh, Makkah Mukarramah or Medina Munawwara? So he told his sheikh, what was there to bring? Because they have tasbis, they have topis and they have itar and so on. All those things either go from China there or those things we are, are made in India and they are sent there to, to be sold there. So I can get it at a fraction of the price here in uh, here in India itself. So the sheikh told him, yes, you can get it at a cheaper price here in this place or, from, or, or whatever. But that item, that tasbih which has, have, has come from Makkah, Mukarramah, Medina, Munawwara, tasted the air of that Mubarak places. We should value it because we could not go there, but these things have become blessed because they have visited those, they have come from those places. So if a physical item's value increases because it tasted the air of Makkah, Mukarramah or Medina, Munawwara, imagine what happens to the, to the heart of a person who went there solely for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and had his heart cleansed and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala filled his, nur in, filled his special nur in the heart of that person. So we should also go there, go greet them, and take the du'as, and also benefit from sitting in their company. And the more pious, we should make it our duty to spend time in their company as well, especially after they have come back from hajj. And if we are given, like I mentioned, if we are given zamzam or khajur, we should consume it and value every drop of zamzam that they give us, and every morsel, every uh, piece of that khajur that they give us, we should value it as well. Um, my engineer had just uh, signaled to me that we have our Honorable Sheikh on the line. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Kamaluddin. Oh, alaikum assalam. Nice to hear your voice after a long absence, Sheikh. Allah, Sheikh. How was your Eid? Eid, alhamdulillah. Inshallah. Alhamdulillah. Uh, we were, I remember in this in this uh, this uh, Bakri Eid al-Adha that just went by. I thought back on my first Eid al-Adha in Pakistan. I don't know if you recall. Oh, you <laughs> we still speak fondly about <laughs> that with the children. We still speak on, on that experience. Alhamdulillah. Okay, Sheikh Maladin. Uh, time is running out. We only have half an hour left. Inshallah, you can bless us with some of your nasiyat as well. And just for our listeners, I think I just explained. Mashallah, Mawana Sheikh Hafid Junaid Sabi came to Pakistan to study in Medin. That's not necessary, right, Mashallah? No, no, but I should be, since we share with the listeners online, Alhamdulillah. And so we were actually living together, myself and Mawana Junaid, in the same house in Lahore. And we traveled to Aid. And I think it's an important thing because I think many of our listeners in other Muslim countries don't have that experience, and I myself, yeah. uh, in America, never actually had the experience of actual animal slaughter. So in Pakistan and Gujarat, I wouldn't be able to go to the hospital, we had the opportunity to perform and witness uh, a number of animal slaughters. In my case, I was just witnessing, but there was one goat, I remember, and one very big cow, and then we went also and delayed the Gujarat to see a camel. And it's a fascinating thing also to share that the method of slaughtering the camel is different 
in certain ways, and I, I can't even because I don't know enough about animal slaughter, but it's different anyway than the way a cow is slaughtered, and it shows how Muslim really, you know, is the Sharia of ours, the Mohawk, are so common, so perfect, so complete. I mean, how, imagine how perfect in detail that Sharia is where Allah sponsors mentioned a different method, uh, for slaughtering the goat and the cow, and a different method, method for slaughtering the camel. And it means really, and I think this is one of the lessons of Eid, that Allah sponsor wants us to submit each and every aspect of our life, even these minor details. And a lot of Muslims today, I think they fail to appreciate that. Yeah. That the details do count, and the little matters do count, and especially Muslims who, you know, often label themselves as moderate or modernist or progressive, and uh, they like to talk about the spirit of Islam. Yeah. But they're suggesting that the spirit is something that can be acquired without the letter. And I think that if one of the greatest teachings of the Sawaf is actually it shows a person that you can only get the spirit through the letter. And so if you want both, and this is really the nisbah between the Sawaf and the Skiya, uh, on the one hand in Sharia, on the other, and this is one of the greatest, I think, uh, renewals that Imam Rabbani Shakyamat or Hindi Majidam Fasanatlain did, that he really showed the way to combine these two things, and he even showed that you can never ever get the spirit without the letter. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, it's quite ironic that sometimes these moderates, you know, mm-hmm. fancy themselves as quote unquote Sufi, mm-hmm. when actually the Sawaf is maybe the most actually anti-modern uh, type uh, branch of Islamic learning. And I remember when I was able to go on Hajj, alhamdulillah, that there was a feeling after Hajj, a feeling of joy and contentment and happiness and peace all over, whether it was really even it felt like it was in the very winds and then every place that a person is. And I think, you know, as much as we were trying, I think maybe we did try to talk online few weeks ago about how people should try to tap in and feel uh, and feel uh, sentiment and feelings of Hajj just like that now in these days that Hajj has ended we should also feel that same feeling of happiness and joy that our fellow Mu'mineen Mu'minat the judge 
uh, on Alhamdulillah feeling at this time. Now we enter an interesting period now in the Islamic calendar because now it's sort of the long stretch. You see the two main features is Ramadan and Hajj and they come very close, two and a half months apart from one another. And so now it's going to be a good about eight months now until we reach Ramadan. And these eight months that are coming, although yes, there may be a few, one or two days that some people may commemorate or may remember, but pretty much uh, the two Eids, because our deen, alhamdulillah, is a deen that has only two Eids, right? And I think that itself, uh, if you make a few comments about Eid, is also an amazing thing that Allah found Allah teaching us through Eid, that even when you celebrate uh, Allah teaching humanity, that our humanity, even when you celebrate, when you rejoice, when you're going to be festive, when you're going to be happy, even that is going to be because of receiving the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Ramadan is a whole month of Allah Ta'ala's blessings and mercy. And the combination of that month, the person is, you know, should indeed rejoice and be happy and be festive. And just like that, the season of Hajj is a whole season of mercy and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, culminating in those first nine days of Zulhijjah culminating in the ninth of the Hindu Yom al-Arafat, and then when the person then lives through that period of time, then again, they have received the mercy and blessings of Allah Santa. So again, this is a time and a moment for us to rejoice and be happy. And that is it. There is no other type of Eid, no other type of holiday at that level in the deen of Islam. And this is a fascinating thing uh, that Allah Santa has linked even our celebration to His mercy and our festivity to his graciousness, because Allah also is the host uh, of all the mu'mineen and mu'minah on these two days of Eid. In fact, the word Eid uh, comes from this word Adi Odu, which means to return. And what it means is that every single day this day returns every year, but it also means Allah's mercy is oft returning towards us, it also means that we are supposed to be oft turning and keep returning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes. So this is also one of the lessons we uh, learn on this season of Eid. But for the next eight months, there is no particular such thing. And sometimes you will find, even in this world, that sometimes a person gets a particular type of course or a particular type of training or go through a particular type of experience, and that course, that training, that experience is supposed to have such a deep effect, such a lasting effect, such a strong after effect on that person, that it's supposed to last them for some time. Just like that in our deen, this one month of Ramadan, the two and a half months of the season of Hajj, so these three and a half months, were supposed to have had such a long, lasting, deep effect on us, but now we're supposed to be able to last all the way up to 30th Shaban without any other particular special moments of time from Allah SWT, special extra blessings or mercies from Allah SWT, or any other particular Eid or uh, festivity uh, for the sake of Allah SWT. So that means we have, again, this long stretch to do. In any type of long stretch, what does a person have to do? A person has to find a way to retain the blessings, to retain the mercies, and this is what is called in our being istikama. Istikama, istikamat, 
is something that is very, very difficult to have. Yeah. So, if a person wants to increase their istikamat, the first thing they should do is they should try to have istikamat in one thing in their life. For most of us, the perfect first choice would be Tamat al-Fajr. For some, it may be, if they're more developed spiritually, it may be Salat al-Tajr. For some, it may be Tilawat al-Quran, daily Tilawat al-Quran, or daily Zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not possible to get istikamat on everything instantly, but a person should take one thing and try, try to make that regular. And the reason is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught with the Yaqeem sallallahu alayhi wa she then expressed in the hadith, that the most beloved of actions in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are those nawafil that a person, those voluntary extra acts of worship that a person does regularly, that a person does regularly even if they're only few in number. So what does that teach us? That teaches us that nafil ibadat make us the mahboob of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right, because the word that is used here is ahabbal ahabbal. And this is why we should never ever have this attitude that nafil ibadah is optional, means that nafil ibadah is not necessary for me. Why? Because nafil ibadah is what's going to make me the mahboob of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And being the mahboob of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala certainly should not be optional in the heart of any Muslim. Certainly should not be something that any Muslim feel that they don't need at all. So, the way we're going to last in these next eight months is by doing nafil ibadah. There's not going to be any feature of Ramadan, which a lot of us, what did we do in Ramadan? We did nafil ibadah, we prayed to the I mean, at one level it's nafil, right? We did more ibadah, more du'a. In the nine days of Zulhijjah, many of us tried to offer more nafil ibadah, maybe did some nafil fasting. So the very same thing that enabled us to get these mercies from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these last three and a half months are going to be the same things that are going to carry us through the next eight months and that is nafil ibadah. Some amount of nafil ibadah and regularity, consistency in at least one or a few of those nafil ibadah. Alhamdulillah, the power of nafil ibadah is also that it brings a person close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is what the Mashaikh and Imam Rabbani used to mention this as Qurb bin Nawafil. And this is actually mentioned in the Hadith Qudsi that has been collected both by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim. And that is that Sayyidina Rasulullah said that Allah said that I was my servant as they draw near to me. Such that they keep drawing near to me with the Nawafil and when they keep drawing near to me with the nawafil, then what does Allah Santa say? Allah Santa says that I become the eyes to which they see, right? I become the ears to which they hear. What level of qurb is this? This is unimaginable qurb. And this qurb is something that comes to a person because of the nafil ibadat that they do. The nafil ibadat that they do. So Allah SWT said, the Prophet said, that Allah SWT said in that hadith, that that person will keep drawing near to me by means of the nawafin. 
And then when they keep drawing near to me by means of the Nawafil, Allah Ta'ala says that I will become the eyes through which he sees, the ears through which he hears, the hand through which he strikes. So this is something that obviously is not meant in a literal sense, right? Obviously Allah Ta'ala himself does not have mm, any particular thing that you would call eyes, right? Uh, in fact, now I remember uh, the Hadith, at least in the Nawait of Bukhari, actually says that my servant will continue to draw near to me with Nawasul, Qurb and Nawasul, such that I love him. Yeah, such that Allah SWT says, I love him. And then when I love my servant, then I will become the hearing through which he hears, the seeing through which he sees, the hand which he strikes, and the foot with which he walks. And then if that servant was to ask me of something, I would grant it to him. So this is what is called this person becomes a mustajab of da'wah, that Allah accepts all their du'as. And were he ask me for uh, sanctity or refuge, I would grant it to him. Allah Akbar. So this is the level of qurum that Allah wants for the person, but that qurum is going to come to a person on the basis of nafil ibadah and nafil a'mah. So we should all of us try to have a practice of doing some nafil imanat and nafil amal. And one, uh, in addition to the many, many things we've talked about in many, many programs, another thing that we should try to do is pray two rakat of nafil salah every day. And in those two rakat of nafil salah, we should try to practice focusing on Allah subhanahu We should try to practice remembering Allah subhanahu We should work on the quality of our salah. Obviously, ideally, we should do this in every salah, every salah, every salah that we pray. But because sometimes, especially for men, if you're praying further than con- in Jamaat and congregation, that's a bit of a different way of concentrating, right? Mm-hmm. So if we take two rakats, any two rakats in our day, or we add some two nafil rakats, and then those two rakats we try to focus on the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa Focus on the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa Focus our heart to try to feel the feelings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then uh, this would be another very good nafal ibadah for us to do. Sure. Without nafal ibadah, it's going to be very difficult to last even eight months. And we've noticed that most people, when you don't have nafal ibadah, number one, you will slip in your farz ibadah, and number two, you may even slip and fall all the way into sin. And we've mentioned this, I think, on the program before, that if a person does only fard ibadah, if they do only fard ibadah, then they may actually still be able to sin. But if they sin, in other words, if they sin, they will be able to still do fard ibadah. But if they sin, they will find it extremely difficult to do nafil ibadah. Nafil ibadah and sin are almost impossible to combine. That's why if we can have istikamah and even just a one nafil ibadah every day, then any day, then we will be able to tell whenever we sin. Because whenever we do something that is actually a sin, we won't be able to do that nafil ibadah for that day. We won't be able to do nafil ibadah for that day. So the more and more nafil ibadah a person does, the more and more they become sensitized to sin, the more they feel and notice the effects of their sin. Then Allah SWT 
if you notice on these days of Eid, and this is something, you know, to share with our listeners online in South Africa and different parts of the world, world that you would have seen on these days of Eid, there were some special sentences Allah Ta'ala asked us to say. And these were known as the takbirat of the ayam of the shaykh. What was that? Allah, Akbar, Allah, Akbar, Allah, 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 Akbar, Allah, Akbar, when Allah is hung. Now, although the days for these takbirat have passed, which was from the Fajr of the 9th of Zalhijjah to Asr of the 13th of Zalhijjah, I thought it was a very good opportunity to illustrate a lesson, which is a major aspect of the Sawaf, which is that we should feel feelings for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this sentence, Allahu Akbar, this is one of the most oft-repeated sentences in our deen. And we have to learn how to feel the feeling of the sentence. And that is really what our Mashaik of the Sawaf teach us. They teach us how to feel the feelings of Allahu Akbar. And you would see that throughout our deen, Allah spells out with this sentence. And what does Allahu Akbar, what does Akbar mean? In the first sentence, it means that Allah spells out is greater. But because it means that Allah spells out is greater than anything and everything, then that being who is greater than each and every single thing, every single being, every single idea, that being will be called the greatest. So Allah spells out actually the greatest. But he chose to use the sentence Akbar that Allah Ta'ala is greater than everything because our feelings that we should feel in our heart, when we hear the sentence Allah Akbar, that feeling will change depending what it is that we're thinking that Allah Ta'ala is greater than. For example, when we finish our salah, Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam taught us that it's sunnah that we should say Allahu Akbar right after saying salam. What is our feeling then at that moment that Allah Sata is the greatest, but specifically that Allah Sata is greater than this salah that I just offered to him, this namaz I just prayed, and this ibadah I just offered him. Allah Sata is greater than any sadza I could do, he's greater than any ruku I could do, he's greater than any Quran I could recite. So this is the feeling with which we should feel the sentence Allah at that time. Secondly, Allah Ta'ala has mentioned Allah Akbar four times in Azam. Four times. Different ulama and muhaddithin have understood the feeling differently. One feeling is for us to realize that Allah Ta'ala is greater than anything we may be doing right now. You see, the call to prayer is an invitation by Allah Ta'ala to prayer. It means that obviously this person is occupied in something else. They're doing some work of this world. They're teaching, they're studying, they're college, they're university, they're in the shop, they're in the market, they're in the office, they're in the corporation, they're doing something else. And they need to be reminded that Allah SWT is greater than whatever they're doing, whatever career they're pursuing, whatever degree they're pursuing, whatever money they're earning. They also need to be taught that even if you're doing something that is khidmat, khidmat, Allah SWT is greater than your khidmat of deen, Allah SWT is greater than any work that you're doing. Allah is greater than your khidmat, your service of humanity, your relief in humanitarian work. Allah Ta'ala is greater than your anything that a person is doing. So this is one reason that Allah has said in the Adhan and it's repeated over and over again. Some ulama al-Muhaddathin have said that the reason it comes four times at the start of Adhan is that Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala is greater. The feeling we should have is that Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala is greater than all of the four core elements of power in this world. What are those four core elements of power? So the first is 
the first is water, right? The water is the source of life. And water, if it comes in a tidal wave or a flood, it has a lot of power in it. Second is wind or air, right? And wind, air, oxygen, again, is a source of life. And also, it has a lot of power if it comes in a windstorm or a hurricane or a tornado. Third is fire, right? And fire, in some places in the world, is also a source of life in the sense that uh, we need to be kept warm in terms of our own body. Our own body has our own thermal energy, which is our normal body temperature. That is part of our life force. And that is why when the root of a person's body is taken out, when they die, then their physical body becomes cold. It loses that heat, that thermal energy. But also there's the destructive power of Jannam, that if there's a fire in the forest or a fire somewhere, it can destroy things. All of those creatures and that power. And four is the power of the earth. The earth, again, is a source of life. Because all the nutrients and minerals that we need to survive, they come from the earth. Almost all of our food comes from the earth or comes from animals who eat the vegetables that come from the earth. And also earth has a lot of power, whether it's earthquakes, uh, landslides, avalanche, earth has a lot of power. So one way, the second way to understand the feelings that we should feel in Islam is that Allah's cause is the most powerful force. What does that mean? If an earthquake was coming, we would run. If a tidal wave was coming, we would run. If a hurricane was coming, we would run. If a flood was coming, we would run. So now the call of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has come. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's call and Allah subhanahu wa might is greater than all of these elemental powers. So we should run to the call of Allah subhanahu wa It's a different feeling. Now on these days of 9th and 10th and 11th, 12th, 13th of Zulhijjah, there was another feeling of Allah Akbar. So the night of Zulhijjah, which is Yom Al-Arafah, that is the day of mercy and forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa So, the first thing is that you would see that in that sentence, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, La ilaha illallah. First we say Allah Akbar, and the feeling with which we say it makes us then say La ilaha illallah. But then there's a second sentence, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, when Allah hum, but there's a second way we feel, it's Allah Akbar, and that makes us feel the La hum. What does it mean? So the first thing is actually Allah Santa is so great, the greatest, He is greater than having to forgive us. You would see in this world that whenever you disobey an authority, the higher the authority, the less chance they will forgive you. For example, if you disobey your father, there's a chance that he may forgive you. If you disobey a whole community leader, there's a smaller chance he will forgive you. And in this world, of governments, if you disobey the highest authority on earth, which is the government, I mean, the secular perspective, right? If you disobey the law and you are found guilty, there is no forgiveness. There's never been in history a court case in which a person is found guilty. And as long as there are no other circumstances, they're found guilty, they must be sentenced. They will definitely be punished for the crime. So the higher authority means you won't be forgiven. So if you continue that, then Allah Santa is the highest authority. Allah, for He is so great, He is greater than us being even able to transgress against Him. It should have been, as sometimes our shaykhs have been bound, that the first time we sinned with our eyes, we should have been struck blind. The first time we sinned with our tongues, we should have been made mute. The first time we sinned with our ears and listened to some lying or ibad, we should have been rendered deaf. That was the, the cause of, that was the, dictates and demands of the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then when we first say it, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, we say, La ilaha illallah, Allah is so great, He is greater than having to forgive me, 
greater than even me ever thinking of disobeying Him. La ilaha illallah, indeed, there is no being, no being worthy of worship. There is no ma'ud, there is no ilah, except my Allah SWT. But then the second thing we remember and feel about Allah SWT, not, not even though Allah SWT is so great, that He shouldn't forgive us, Allah SWT's mercy is also great, and part of His greatness is that He is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, He is Al-Ghafur and Al-Ghafar, Part of his greatness lies in the fact that he will indeed forgive us. So then again we say, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, then billahi alhamd, and only and only to such an Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who despite his might and majesty and that, that his fact that he is so great, means that he shouldn't forgive us. In spite of that or along with that, he is, is so greatly merciful and so greatly forgiving that he has decreed and chosen to be merciful and forgiving for us. How great is he? And to such an Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is so merciful and forgiving, even with me, even though he was so great and I should never have in the first place, only and only to such an Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to such a wonderful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, could belong or could befit any praise. This is the feelings. This was just an example we gave tonight of a few ways to feel about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what, you know, our Mishnahis teach us. They teach us how to feel the feelings about Allah SWT. Very quickly on the 10th of the religion, the day of Eid, same thing. Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. Allah SWT is greater than being my host on this day. Allah SWT is far too great for me to ever rejoice or be festive. Right? La ilaha illallah. There's no being worthy of worship. No mighty being. No ilah. No God except for Allah SWT. But then secondly, but look how great Allah SWT is. In His kindness and generosity, He is hosting me. He wants me to be festive. He has decreed on tenth of Zulhijjah that he is happy saving me happy. He wants me to make him happy by acting happy, by displaying my happiness. So then we say second time, Allah for how great Allah Subhanahu is. That he is such a great generosity, such a great host. But Allah alhamdulillah, only and only to such Allah Subhanahu who is so generous, so kind, so hosting that all praise should belong. Okay, just like that, we have to learn from our Mashaikh how to feel these sifat of Allah subhanahu learn to feel these du'as, learn to feel these ibadat. And these feelings will take place in a person's heart when they do definitely ibadat. So the way we have to last and for the next eight months until Ramadan is to do some nafil ibadat, try to have istikamat and at least a few of those some nafil ibadat and to keep learning the feelings of Qur'an from the Mashaikh of Islam, Ahir Dawana, and Alhamdulillah, Hilam bin Adam.